We're gathered here today to remember that love came down at Christmas time. Love so perfect, so divine, coming down from wrists of time. So I'll endeavour in this rhyme to show how God the Father has decreed that mankind in his dire need must have a saviour, his own son. And so this wondrous deed was done on that far off Judean hills. And how our believing heart just thrills to hear those angels say, The Saviour God is born today. Satan's deadly reign is o'er. Mankind can live forevermore. For Christ was born in manger bare. The curse of sin was conquered there. For the shepherds told the world in their way, and it hasn't changed a whit in our day. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He paid the price of mankind's fall. We gain life from the Saviour's death, and we should with our every breath praise God the Father and the Son from whom, from whom our, life, our eternal life is won. And in eternity we will sing, Praise the Father and Christ our King. Just during this, this Advent period of preparation, I've been waiting for today. Today, Christmas Day, means that the King has come. The boy has been born. The, uh, the prophesied Messiah has come. He is finally here. Uh, and of course, we in this room, I'm sure, uh, are, are like nauseatingly familiar with the Christmas story, right? Um, we've heard it all before, and it, it's, it's a shame. I have, this, I have the same reflection every year, right? It's a shame that we are so familiar with it because we have this way of switching off. It, 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 our familiarity, like, it does a disservice to us because it, it, um, it stops us from actually comprehending what's happening on Christmas morning. The whole, the whole scene in our minds becomes romanticized, and sanitized and distorted, and it does such a disservice to us. Every every little nativity scene you see, you kind of have to look carefully to see if um if baby Jesus has been swapped out for a baby Yoda or something like that, or maybe Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Look, there's here's a culprit over here. Um well that's actually not baby Yoda, that's old Yoda, isn't it? Um gotta make sure the shepherds are actually shepherds and one of them's not Obi-Wan Kenobi or something like that. Uh you've got a my, my favorite one's the Love Actually movie, famous Christmas movie, right? Um, Daisy, one of the characters, comes home and says, "Guess what, Mum? I'm uh, I'm the first I'm first lobster, because at Christmas Day there were multiple lobsters present, and so she was first lobster, right? Um, and so today, I guess our challenge from the outset, or the challenge I'm going to level at you from the outset, is try and do your best to just imagine like you're hearing this actually for the first time." It's going to be hard to do because we're so familiar with the story, but we're going to do our best to do that. Um, and so my way of kind of like helping you to do that is just try and ask questions about every part of it in your mind. When, when, you, when you see something read in the, in, in the narrative, ask, why is that there? What, what's happening there? Why is that there? Just have the, the curiosity of a five-year-old uh, as we read this passage. And, and as we do as well, um, this is the other big question we want to be asking. Obviously, on Christmas morning. So What? Right, what, it, what does Christmas actually do? What does it mean? Um, what does it actually change for me today, 2,000 years later, right? Um, maybe maybe the, the other way to ask the question is, what do we lose today 
if Christmas didn't happen? What do we lose today if Christmas didn't happen? Let me read from Luke chapter 2, one very famous Christmas passage. I'm reading a big chunk, so do your best to uh, follow on. If you have a Bible, you might want to follow along with me. It says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, the governor of Syria, uh, was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered there with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in the manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. We just sung Hark the Herald Angels Sing, right? This is the scene. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, as, as angels always do when they appear to a person, they start with this, fear not, <laughs> don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among those with whom he is well pleased. When the angels went away, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying. Mary and Joseph didn't know this was happening, right? They get the second hand from the shepherds. They made this, uh, made this saying uh, that was told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I've always loved that line. Mary just stole those things, pondered them in her heart. She, she treasured those beautiful words from the shepherds. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they have seen and heard as it had been told them. This is the word of God. And what a wonderful word of God it is. What a wonderful word it is. Um, apparently, I don't know if this is true in Australia, but apparently over in the States, you can go to university and study the Klingon, Klingon language. Any Star Trek fans here? Yeah, right? So apparently in the States, again, I couldn't confirm whether this is true in Australia, you can go study Klingon at university. Same is true, of course, for, um, for Elvish, much more of a Lord of the, fan, ran, uh, Lord of the Rings fan, Lord of the Fan Rings um, over here. But you can go to university and study Elvish as well. Uh, there's courses in, like, Harry Potter, the world of Harry Potter as well. 
um, which is a big deal for us muggles to get invited to that kind of thing. Um, so apparently this is a thing uh, in, in the States, and um, I'm told as well, apparently, during the great toilet paper crisis of 2020, um, those degrees became really valuable for a while there, uh, but not, not anymore. Um, one person. All right. Um, so when you, hear some, when you hear stuff like that, that you can go to university and study these kind of things that are totally made up, um, you kind of ask the, I've got to ask the question, is that a good idea? Like, is it a good idea to spend your valuable time and money in your real life endeavoring to learn a thing that has no real-world value? Is that worth it? And the answer is, it's, it's probably not, is it? At least that's how I feel. I'm a bit of a pragmatist on this stuff. Um, there's certainly a line you don't cross, right? There's a line somewhere there between, like, I'm a Star Trek fan who enjoys Star Trek, and, like, you should probably chill out about Star Trek. <laughs> there's, a, there's a line somewhere there, right? Um, the, the thinking goes, you can, you can, you can um, enjoy a story. You can, you can even love a story. You can be a Star Trek fan, but there's a point at which it's like, don't start making actual real-life decisions based on your enjoyment of a show, right? That's a bit insane, a bit absurd. I can't help but feel that every Christmas time, that's kind of what the world thinks about Christians. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's kind of the, the, the feeling that the world has towards Christians. That, um, people are out there thinking, hey, Christians, chill out about Christmas, right? You can, you can, you can love the story of the baby in a manger. You can enjoy that story. But don't, like, build your life on it as if it's a real thing. Because that's just crazy. Don't, don't cross that line into craziness. Um, and so, look, that might include you today as well. You might be here sitting, yeah, that pretty much sums up how I feel about a Christian's tree Christmas. It's like, it's a cool story, but, like, don't make actual decisions based on this fantasy story. Um, I want you to see how it is that Luke starts uh, the uh, chapter 2 here. What does he say? He says, in verse 1 and 2, he says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration, there was multiple, when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Um, Luke doesn't start his story with, uh, once upon a time, or uh, a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, he starts with a real identifiable historical situation. When did this happen? When Caesar Augustus was, was ruler of the Roman Empire and when a time when Quirinius was the governor of the region of Syria, which includes Israel and Judea, right? These two guys are no small deal. We know a whole bunch in history about these two guys. Caesar Augustus, probably the most famous Roman emperor. He was uh, son of adopted son of Julius Caesar, and was actually the first Roman emperor. He like united the kingdom, united the emperor after, and kind of like ushered in a long period of peace after like turmoil. He's not a small figure in history, is what I'm trying to say. But the Bible just is very happy to make these kind of very historical claims. It, it wants us to know when this happened in the flow of of um, history. We're also given the actual the postcode of where this happens. Bethlehem is a, it's not a small town. It's probably only a couple of thousand people or smaller. But Bethlehem was an ancient town with a massively significant history, a long history. This was the hometown of great King David a millennia beforehand. 
So Luke gives us the postcode of where this happens. He gives us the historical context of what this happens. My point is this, right? Luke is trying to tell us something about this. He's trying to tell us that these things happened in real space and in real time. Real space and real time. These are, this is no myth or legend or fairy tale. Luke is trying to get across to us that the, this, this story of Christmas is tied into history. It's tied into history. And so I just want to encourage you this morning to actually test that, to test this, this fact. Um, the best place to start is to, I think, to, to read one of the four Gospels about Jesus. Read the historical accounts of this man, Jesus, and, and, and test it. One author, um, Sam Albury, he says this. He says, if you haven't read a gospel for yourself as a thinking adult, so I'm not talking like I was in Sunday school and I was six and someone taught me. It's like, if you haven't read the gospel as a thinking adult, you're not actually informed enough to reject the Christian faith. You haven't actually tested what's there. So I encourage you today. That's my challenge for you today. Um, If that's you, I just want to encourage you to give that a go. God is not intimidated by your questions. God is not intimidated by your questions. You know the thing about the truth is it's not afraid to have questions asked. The truth actually invites questions. Jesus invites your questions. He really does. The truth invites questioning, and so does Jesus. He's not afraid of you, like, peering behind the curtain. It's not something he's afraid of, right? So I'm going to encourage you to test these things this Christmas. Um, But Luke, first thing Luke wants us to know, that these things happen, right? These things are tied into real time and space. Secondly, he wants us to see why does this happen? What is the purpose? What is the point? What is going on here? Um, let's go back to the text. Verse 3. All went to be registered in each, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. When they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And when, he, when she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Then the angels show up to the shepherds in the field and we get these words from the angel again, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this is the sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So it's, in the, it's a few things I just want to pull out here. There's, it's in the city of David, the great King David, that this baby is born. Um, and there's three things the angel wants us to, to see about him. Three claims through massive claims this baby, uh, that this angel makes about this baby. Firstly, he is Savior, he is Christ, he is the Lord. Those are the three things, Savior, Christ, Lord. He is Savior. This is the claim of Jesus, right? That he has come to save, to, to rescue. He has come to die for the sins of the world. He has come to rescue us. He is Jesus, the Savior. Secondly, he is the Christ. That word, you know, I, I grew up, kind of grew up thinking that Christ was Jesus' last name. I'm Mike Westazen. Jesus is Jesus Christ. Christ is a title. Christ is the Greek word for the Jewish word Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. This is what Messiah is saying. He is the one who has been 
prophesied about for centuries and centuries and centuries. He is the Christ. He is the one. Here he is. He's this king, this savior, Jesus. And finally, he's savior, he's Christ, and finally he is Lord. Of all the three, this is the one that could get Luke executed for saying, because there is a Lord, and his name is Caesar. To call anyone else Lord in the Roman Empire is to put your neck on the guillotine in a very real sense. In fact, through, through the first couple of centuries of the Christian church, thousands, tens of thousands of Christians would die because they kept saying, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. We will not worship Caesar. We worship the Lord. They kept making this incredible claim that Jesus is the real king that sits above all the earthly kings. He is, he is, the, king, he is the king of this of the whole universe. Many would die for this fact. And we, of course, we just, we just miss that entirely because we don't have this idea of this one Lord in our world today like the Roman Empire did. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. He's come to rescue us. He's Christ. He's the promised Messiah. And he is the Lord. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Did you see that last line, though? This is the sign. What is the sign? He's wrapped in swaddling cloths. Let's be honest. Every child who's born is wrapped in swaddling cloths. So that's probably not the part he's pointing out. I'm sure William at the back there is, is wrapped in swaddling cloths, right? Um, the sign is this. He's lying in a manger. Of all the details of the story, I think this is the one we have grown so familiar with that it ceases to kind of make any sense to us. Luke, he says this a couple of times in this narrative that Jesus is in a manger. I think, it's, I think what it comes from is the, um, like the, the, steri- the, the sanitizing, the sterilizing of the nativity scene. We've just, we make it quaint and beautiful. It's romantic. It's kind of like the, the, the manger itself is kind of rustic and hipster. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's got this kind of like authentic vibe to it. And we're like, yeah, we, we like that. It's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool scene with uh, the animals around, and it's, it's beautiful, right? This is kind of what is in our heads because of what's happened, uh, just being so familiar with the story. I remember quite clearly the day that my two girls were born, who are being very loud today. Um, I've got some photos, actually. Okay, this is day one of my two daughters, um, Lucy on the left. Yes, left, and uh, Violet on the right. Um, and I, I still remember those days that I um, got to meet my two girls, the first day I got to hold them. I didn't get to hold Violet until like day four because she couldn't breathe. Uh, so she was in ICU for a while there. She's good now. Um, but I remember that day getting to hold my daughter, plural, um, and then being able to put them down. <laughs> or to another uh, a grandparent or a brother or an auntie and uncle or something. Or into a crib, right? What the story of Christmas tells us is that Mary and Joseph basically had two options when it came to Jesus. Two options are this. Either we put him in the dirt between the cow pats, right? Or we clear out the feeding trough that the cattle use and pop him in there instead. Those are the options, right? I didn't have that dilemma. I got a crib, right? Wix is at the back. You got a crib, right? This, the manger isn't rustic. It's not authentic. It's not hipster. It's not romantic. It's pretty gross and disgusting and alarming. 
don't want you to miss this idea, right? Jesus was only ever in the manger because it's half a step up from putting him in the dirt next to the poo. That's the only reason he's there. It's half a step up. We're so familiar with the story that kind of, it kind of stops shocking us that the king would be born and put in this place. What's, Luke wants us to see this, right? He, he, I think he's, he's laboring this for us. He's, he really wants us to see the kind of king this is. He's going to go to great lengths to intertwine these two ideas of the royalty of Jesus, his royalty. He's the king. He's the Lord. He's the Savior. And at the same time, his, his humility, his lowliness. He's sitting in a, like, I don't know, like, well, yeah, when the Wixers got home the other day, they didn't go, oh, where do we put the baby? Let's, let's empty out the dog bowl and put him in there, right? It's just like, no, no one thinks that way. Luke wants us to see the royalty of Jesus and his lowliness at the same time as two, two married concepts. His royalty, because obviously, right, a king is born, right? A savior has come. He's in the city of David, the great king. His lowliness, because he's sitting in a feeding trough. His royalty, because this angel receives a royal proclamation from a array of angels. Who gets that? No one gets that. Jesus gets an, a royal announcement. His lowliness because who hears the announcement? The nobodies. The no, like the shepherds in the field, right? Try and imagine 3 a.m. at a random truck stop in the middle of nowhere, right? Like who's there at that time of day? <laughs> no one important, I don't think. And yet this is to whom the, the uh, proclamation comes. The royalty of Jesus, again, who comes to visit him? These ancient astron- these astronomers from the east, these uh, ambassadors from another kingdom come bearing gifts fit for a king, but they don't come to a palace. They come to a barn. Friends, this is a different kind of birth because this is a different kind of king. This is a different kind of birth because this is a different kind of king. This is the utterly surprising message of Christmas. The king has come and he was nothing like what we thought he would be like. His coming is nothing like what we thought it would be like. The king has come and it has shown us what he is, what kind of king he is going to be, how he is going to rule, how he is going to live, how he is going to assert his kingdom in the world. He has come as the lowborn king to rescue and redeem us. He's come to seek and to save us. This king uh, who was born in the manger would grow up living his life in the same kind of lowliness. He would go after the weak and the sick and the outcast and the deplorable of society. Those are the people he would hang out with. He He copped a lot of heat because of who he spent time with. He would... He said he had come to serve, not to be served, as a king ought to be, but he came instead to serve. He came, uh, he, he would he'd be helpless. Hope, homeless was the word I was after. Foxes have holes, birds have nests. The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. This is the lowly king. King without a home, let alone a palace. A servant king who has come to rescue us. Later in the book, in the Gospel of Luke, where these words come from, we get his mission statement uh, said so beautifully, the Son of Man, that's his favorite name for himself, the Son of Man has come 
to seek and to save the lost. That's why he's here. He's come to seek and to save the lost. He's seeking them. He's coming after them. He's going to rescue them. He's coming after the lost. Of course, this king would eventually find his way on the kill of Calvary, crucified, to establish his kingdom. In that moment when he's nailed to the cross, friends, he is more king than he's ever been. He was rescuing us through his sacrifice on that cross. So what do we lose if Christmas isn't true? Where do you start? Uh, In the words of Tim Keller, he said this. He says, if Christmas is just a nice legend, then in a sense, you're on your own. What he's getting at is it's like, if, if, if this isn't real, then the God who has come hasn't actually come, and he doesn't care. Oh, he's not there, and it doesn't matter. What he's saying here is, is, is no one's really looking out for you. There is no kind of real purpose to your life. There is no kind of silver lining to your suffering and your grief. No purpose to it. No higher purpose to your trials. The universe is cold and empty and pointless. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Right? There's no such thing as good and evil. The difference between cruelty and generosity doesn't, doesn't matter in the end. Like, there, is no, there is no purpose, no kind of higher good. Basically, life is hard and pointless, and then you die. Merry Christmas, right? That's, what, what else is there? What else is there? Tim Keller actually finishes his thought, right? He says this, if Christmas is a nice legend, then in a sense you're on your own, but Christmas is true, you can be saved by grace. Because the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. He's come to seek and save the lost. He's come to get us. That word grace is a classic Christian word that sometimes never gets defined. It just means undeserved kindness. We get to be saved by the kindness of God that we can never merit or deserve. The king has come to rescue us with his kindness, through his kindness, through his sacrifice on the cross. This is what Christmas is about. God has come. He's entered in. He's entered into our suffering. He's entered into our our creation. He's entered into the worst of human experience. He knows what it means to be beaten down by life. He knows what it means to suffer and to grieve. He's been betrayed He suffered the worst of human experience. He knows what it means to suffer. He's come to rescue us. The lowborn king has come to seek and save the lost and to give us grace, to give us hope, to give us meaning, to give us a whole new beginning. So in the words of carols, in the the word of the the angels, I should say, fear not, for for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, today we thank you that you came for us. That you came to seek and save the lost, Lord, that includes me. I want to thank you that you have done this not through 
demands that we could never reach, Lord, but through an extension of your kindness towards us. You don't make demands of us. You make you, you, you extend your hand of friendship towards us in grace and you invite us to receive all of who you are, Lord. And you bid us to follow you and to receive you as our king. Lord, you are the good king. You are the low-born king, Lord, who has shown us what, what you are like through the way you lived, through the words you said, Lord, and ultimately through dying on the cross, Lord, you revealed to us your heart. can't even fathom that humility that you would lay aside all your rights to enter into this world as a baby, a hopeless baby, Lord. That one day you were actually the size of, of William Wicks at the back corner there. You needed help with eating, feeding, Lord. You needed help for everything. Would you humbled yourself into that state, Lord, for a purpose, and that was to come get us so that we might know you forever and ever. So, Lord Jesus, I pray today as we, as we celebrate, as we eat, as we open presents, as we, as we spend time with family, as we jump in pools and, and um, do all these things that we do on Christmas, Lord, that we would never forget why it is that we get to have such joy. It's all from you, all of you, Lord. We thank you that you came to get us, to seek and save the lost. Lord, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to sing some more carols.